All right. Well, welcome to Eastgate on this, what I will call and declare as the second day of fall. I know the temperature-wise may not feel like it, but according to everything I learned in school, the first day of fall is on the 21st of each month. I know some calendars say fall's not till tomorrow, and maybe it'll be colder then, but according to everything I've known in science and everything that's ever been taught, maybe I was taught wrong, it was yesterday and today is the second day of fall, I want to welcome you and invite you on this second day of fall to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And speaking of fall, we're going to see uh, the great rescue that is provided for us in spite of our fall. Not fall the season, but in spite of the fall for sin. And I know that seems like a very heavy topic right off the bat, but it shows us our great need for a priest. If you're looking at one of our pew Bibles and having trouble finding Hebrews chapter 5 verses 1 through 10, uh, it's going to be on page 1063. And as always, we make this note that if you need a Bible that is readable, is faithful, uh, we want to provide one to you. That one right in front of the pew is not just for decoration purposes. It's not just for a singular purpose of being used in the worship time. You can have that as our gift to you. We'll replace it with another, and we want to get the Bible into people's hands and ultimately into their heart. So if you've turned there, we're going to be reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, We've been studying through the book of Hebrews with this overarching theme, not one that we've created, but the one that is central to this letter. It's a bold declaration that says Jesus is better. He is more perfect. He is more excellent. He is eternal. There is no one like Him. There is no one but Him, so do not forsake Him. It gives us a, a dire warning and incredible encouragement at the same time. So with that little preface, let's stand and honor God in the reading of His Word as we see Jesus, the chosen, the great, the far more perfect high priest. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, this is what the Word of the Lord says in the book of Hebrews. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going are going astray, since he also is also clothed with weakness. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not exalt Himself to become a high priest. But God who said to Him, You are My Son, today I have become Your Father, also says in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That's a big Bible word, isn't it? During His earthly life, He offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the One who is able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverence. Some versions may say piety. Although He was the Son, He learned obedience from what He suffered. And after He was perfected, He became the source of eternal salvation for all who Obey him. And he was declared by God a high priest 
according to the order of Melchizedek. There's that word again. We're going to be looking at this together. Let's take some time to pray. Lord, Father, I just thank you so much for your word. It is a gift to us. Help us never take for granted what is communicated through it and help it be what guides us because it came from you. We do not need a pep talk, a topical conversation. We need your word to fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised its shame, and now sits down at the right hand of the Father. Lord, show us why you are better. Show us why we have such a great hope. Why there is such a great salvation. And why that salvation is secure, perfected once and for all through you. To all who believe. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now each week, when we come together, there's a few things we try to help people understand. We try to show people what worship looks like in a small scale. The Bible declares that worship is seeing God in the view of all His mercies and offering ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual act of worship according to Romans chapter 12. And, and as living sacrifices, we now have something to praise God about. We have something to offer our lives to Him. And, and we recognize that everything He's given, we're supposed to return it back in, in, in our word and deed. That it's, our lives are meant to give Him glory. So when we come together, we spend time saying, God, help me praise you. Help me recognize what it is to mean to be held responsible to, to communicate you by giving an offering, by also uh, helping others know by spending time in your word so I may hear you and view your mercy more clearly, and by viewing your mercy more clearly, offer you, worship you in a more pleasing manner. And as we're looking at the book of Hebrews, when we're spending time in God's word, we always want to answer this question for people. What does it say? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible mean? How does the Bible apply? And what am I going to do about what I have heard and received? You see, the Bible is this word that comes from the living God to us so that we may see him more clearly. We may respond to him with what we hear and our lives may be forever changed through faith. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So each week we're looking at what's going on. What is it saying? We've spent time reading the word and hearing it out loud so we may not just have some theoretical abstract thought process. We're going to stay fixed to the text. We also need to say, what does it mean? Well, the book of Hebrews was written sometime around 20 to 30 years after Jesus uh, was crucified and resurrected and went back to the Father. And in this time of the early church, there was a severe time of persecution. Persecution not only from, from the government. This is uh, Most people believe this was written during the time of Nero in the early 60 ADs. And... Uh, so there was extreme persecution from Rome and the government that, that ruled the empire at the time that was pushed on Christians. But there was also persecution at home because many Christians came from a Jewish background. Not all. It was a multitude of people from all over the world. But a large majority were already coming from a faith that was promised in the Old Testament and now provided by Jesus. So they knew about the Messiah. They knew about who was promised them, the one that would be the payment for their sin, that would be that ultimate mediator between them and the Lord. They, they knew of this. 
But they also experienced incredible turmoil because not everyone, even though they may have known it, didn't believe it. Not everyone believed that came from that Old Testament culture, that, that Hebrew background. And so those that were Hebrew were now experiencing a tumultuous time in life. I'm experiencing the government at large putting pressure on me, and I'm experiencing pressure at home. But if I just either renounce Jesus, that would be a big step, or maybe put him on the back burner. Just, let's say I got this big Jesus, and I want to make him a small Jesus. Like, not like he's like, whoa, Jesus is definitely a part of that person's life. Maybe I'll do that. And the writer of Hebrews, with great compassion towards his people, is sharing, why would you ever do so? He gives warning after warning, but he also gives encouragement, saying how Jesus is far exceedingly better than anything they've ever possessed before or anything they could possess ahead. And he gave himself of their own volition. They didn't earn him. They didn't achieve him. He gave himself to them. And he's sharing why you should not forsake the Lord and why you should trust the Lord. He's given this evidence. But you may ask, well, how does that apply to my life today? I don't know how exactly it may apply to your life. The meaning does not change. The Lord is Lord over all. He is the living God. And Jesus is far better than we could even fully understand as a church. He is far better. And the Bible is telling us how to make, how this is known, made known to us. But perhaps there's Times in your life, maybe in your own home, where you're thinking, uh, I know Jesus is big, but maybe I need to, like, once I leave the building, kind of put the little Jesus in my pocket and not make that big of a deal of Jesus when I go home. Maybe in your workplace, maybe in, in your school, maybe in your community, maybe among peers and friends. We, I don't know what your situation is when it comes to that. The pressures that push against and say, how dare you say Jesus is better We want to let you know that the Bible says you can say it with confidence because it gives us the proof that He is far more perfect, far greater than even we can fully comprehend. And yet what we can comprehend, the Bible is making it known. And today, as we read from this portion of the letter, remember whenever you're reading from the Bible, these numbers, the big numbers and the little numbers, those were added later so that we can find where we're all reading together very easily. Those are not holy to the Bible. Those were added in so we may have a reference of where we're at. And so we're in this portion of the letter. He's, it's not like it's a, a taken out of from somewhere else out of the blue as is this is chapter 5. It's completely different. No, he's continuing a thought process about what it means to have Jesus as a great high priest, as the one who passed through the heavens, the one who is Jesus, the Son of God, the one who calls us to hold fast to Him. The One who sympathizes with our weakness. The One who is tempted and yet without sin. The One who invites us to approach Him. The One who gives us assurance that He has the authority. The One who gives us affection and help in our time of need. The One who appoints us for His purposes. This Jesus is is highly elevated by the writer of Hebrews and He's continuing that thought with explaining, explaining a little bit more what it means that Jesus is the chosen high priest. And because of Him, we have secured complete salvation. Because of Him, not because of us, because of Him. You see, because of who Jesus is, this is the aim of our servant day, that because of who Jesus is, there is nothing that life brings that could ever unsecure our salvation because He is the once and for all perfect 
perfect high priest. Now, how many of you have ever had like a priest? I mean, I know we have some people from Catholic backgrounds, and that's okay. I'm not shaming anybody. If you came from a Catholic background, I understand. That's okay. But not many in here, okay? you not really had a priest. Most have, Many of you have had a preacher before, right? You've had a pastor before. But a priest, that seems like a foreign idea. But the Bible, it uses that word a lot, right? The word priest. And so if the Bible uses a lot, it's communicating a lot, even though it may be a foreign concept, something that we have never personally had before, it's probably a good idea that we begin to understand this concept of priest. And now when I'm talking about a priest, I'm not talking about a Catholic priest that, that, that has those garments and the, and the little white collar. I'm talking about this kind of priest. Um, as my sound guy, when I sent him this picture, he, goes, he says, uh, well, okay, dude in a dress with feet that are close together. It looks like he just started a fire. Um, okay, I can get that. But in the book of Exodus, in the book of Exodus, the Bible begins laying out all of these commands for how God would set a provisional act of worship. It was provisional for a time period, being that it was the start that God used for His people to draw near to Him, but it was not perfected. It was only a substitute until the time that God would send that perfect group. We kind of talked about that this morning in our connection group. Uh, we were asking why Jesus had to become a man. If God had already provided something in the past, why was there a need for something else? And we used the illustration of, you know, when someone kind of starts, it's, and this is not a perfect illustration by any means, but when someone kind of starts a business, they might start with this provisional temporary setting. It, it kind of does the job, but it's not the perfect one. And then whenever they get set up, they have what they plan to bring about, and they open that up, and the one that was temporary goes away. That's kind of the idea, but in a more perfected way. There was the temporary that God has set up to say, this is what is necessary now, but there will be one day when I will provide the ultimate sufficient priest. And so, in the book of Exodus, it talks about this place, this tabernacle, this tent that would be set up in the middle of the people of Israel and would eventually become a temple. And in this tabernacle, there were priests that would be representing the people on behalf of God. They would be the ones in charge of accepting the offerings and, and, and holding people to account of the law. But there would be one high priest that had a special garment. Not only would he have the white linen tunic that was underneath, but he would have a a a... a a blue kind of, I don't want to call it an apron, but it was like a vestment that would go over that would be more with tassels. And then on top of that, he would have this, this gold work of, 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 of thread that was, that was very intricate to, to represent the holiness of God. But then on top of that, he would have these stones that represent God's love to every single one of the tribes, all 12 tribes. And then on top of that of his head, he would have this white turban because it would need to be opened before the Lord. And, and around that, he would have this, this gold label that in Hebrew would say, holy to the Lord. And you may say, that seems like a lot of intricate things. But he would wear this. And he would wear this every day. He was in charge of keeping it clean. And representing the people. And walking among the people. And helping them understand who God and all of His holiness was. And he would accept their gifts and their offerings their, their, their sacrifices, gifts because they were thanking God and praising Him for who He is that, that He would choose to dwell among them. But sacrifices because they realized that even they 
having a God so holy dwell among them, even they in that nearness were imperfect. They were fallen. They had sin, and sin is costly. And so they would make these sacrifices. And then once a year, the priest would stand before the people on a day called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And he would prepare a sacrifice to go into the temple for the people, a a, a goat, a perfect lamb. And he'd prepare that. But in all of his vestments, in all of his intricate layout, there was something else that had to happen. Before all the people, he had to kill a bull. A bull. I mean, all that nicety, all that intricacy, he had to slaughter a bull for his own sin. Can you imagine that? I'm getting all dressed up and I'm going to slaughter a bull. Now, for some of you, you're like, that seems really cruel, that's really bloody and kind of thing. Well, that's the matter of, of life and sacrifice of what we call penal substitution. That God takes the punishment, the brutality unnecessary of death so that we may have life. He takes the penalty. And this was a small penalty on top of uh, beyond, smaller than what Jesus Himself provided. But this priest would do this. And then he would go in and make a sacrifice on behalf of the people. So why do you need to know that? Well, first of all, I want you to look at what we see, how, why Jesus is able to secure such a complete salvation. Let's see the, the, the provision first. And that is listed in chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. It talks about a calling of a high priest, the commitment of a high priest, and the compassion of a high priest. First of all, he, the high priest was taken from among men, not among angels, not among other deities, not among other spirits or anything like that that could be a, that we sometimes think is possible. He had to be taken among men. Why is that? Because a man has to represent a man. We talked about this in our connection group earlier. Uh, that why did it was it necessary for Jesus, who was God, to become a man? Because God never took an angel that was never fallen, that knew the holiness of the Lord, and said, "You go represent my people." No, there had to be a man to represent him. And I use this illustration also in our connection group this morning. Just as we as citizens expect another citizen to be our representative, we don't choose somebody from another language or another people that is not a U.S. citizen to to represent us. We elect someone like that to represent Americans. And, And whether they are citizens by birth or citizens by naturalization or whatever, we expect them to become a citizen to represent citizens. This is why it was necessary for Jesus to become a man. He was fully God, but He took on flesh to die in our place as a man. Because the high priest had to come from men. And is appointed in matters pertaining to God. So, not only is there a calling as a man to serve, but it's also an appointment by God. To serve on behalf of the people. To deal gently with them. To offer gifts and sacrifices for them. This is what was called. It gives the illustration of Aaron being called as the first high priest of the tabernacle. He wasn't the first priest of God, but he was the first high priest appointed as the, as the leader of the tabernacle. And so what you see is this calling has to come from men and it is a commitment that they must receive 
But it's not a commitment that they take on their own and say, oh, 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 sign me up. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. It's not to be taken lightly that way. Why is that the case? It's not to be for anybody to take that role of priest. Even today we say that if you are not called to be a pastor, someone to hold this office of elder in a church, be careful because you may be like, oh, 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 I'll do it. But ministry will swallow you up because you are not called by God to do it. It will. And I'm not trying to fish for compliments or anything. I'm telling you, it is a serious thing to listen to the calling of the Lord. And so, in that serious warning, I'll digress for a moment. Here's what we see why this is a big deal. There was a man named Saul who became king. And guess what he tried to do? One day he tried to take the role of prophet and priest and make a sacrifice for himself. And though he was king and the highest monarch in the land, guess what happened? Because of that and much more, his whole kingdom was stripped away. There was a man named Uzziah. Asa, he would go and try to make a sacrifice and burn incense in the offering. Guess what happened to him? He died of leprosy. There were some men named Dathan and and Korah, and they tried to rebel against the Lord and say it's a democratic process. Anybody should have the say in reading this rule. And guess what? The earth swallowed them up. It is a serious calling. That's why he says no one chooses this of their own. It must be a calling of the Lord. And so the model of the high priest is they're called by God. It's a commitment to to make sacrifices and gifts and, and to not take those lightly, but also to deal gently with the people because they have an understanding. As a man, I understand my own weakness. I understand their weakness. And I follow through with him. This is why Jesus is able to secure complete salvation because He's going to be this perfect model. But we look again, not only why Jesus is able to do this and that nothing in life could ever separate us because of what Jesus has done, not only because of the model of the high priest that the Bible gives us, but because of the appointed, the appointed title that Jesus has been given. It says in verse 5, in the same way Christ did not exalt Himself to become a high priest, But God said to him, God said to his son, you are my son, today I've become your father. And also another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So we see this appointment by Jesus. First, it is it is declared throughout the Bible that this Messiah was not just some random dude. But He was going to be the very Son of God. The deity was in Him. He was going to be equivalent to the Father. He Himself is God. He is exalted and and it makes known that Jesus is not just some other guy. Not some other philosophy. Not some other thought process. He is very God of very God. Perfect. And yet, as God, He's appointed to be a man as a priest, not just for a time, but forever. He's elected as this office. That, that would not be for just a small portion of time, but would be an office holder forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, that's a really weird little reference, this Melchizedek. You may wonder, what in the world is that about? Well, in the book of Genesis, we see this this priest king named Melchizedek, who was a priest of the Most High, that somewhere outside of the Bible, we, we're not given when this started, when this appointment happened, but somewhere God appointed this man to be a representative of, of him. 
And he would offer sacrifices and, and, and declare, this is before Aaron ever walked the earth. This is while Abraham, who was still a Gentile, called out of Mesopotamia to follow the Lord before any nation of Israel was ever established. Abraham meets Melchizedek, this priest of the Most High God, recognized as the same God that we follow. And meeting him, Abraham offers sacrifices and thanksgiving to the Lord. It's a priest that we don't know his origin story and we don't know his ending story. But he's there. And just as he came before without any origin story or ending story, he is given to us as a type. Like a little foreshadowing clue. This is of the same kind. It's a literary device that lets us know just as this person, we don't know where he came from or where he went. This is a little bit about Jesus. He, he has no beginning and he has no ending, but in the middle, he exists as a forever priest. Just like, just as because we don't know his ending or his beginning and we can never know that because it doesn't exist. This is the same way that Jesus is. Our appointed high priest, a priest forever, of greater order, of, of not the same, but different and greater and better. Jesus is appointed by His Father. Now, yes, Jesus chose to receive it. Yes, Jesus chose to acknowledge it and to obey. But we must not miss out that Jesus obeyed. There was a command, an appointment by God. He says, I will fully submit to that appointment and do it to be the perfect mediator between God and man and to be the perfect sacrifice. You see, people wonder, why is it that Jesus is the one who secures our complete salvation? Well, one, He fulfills the model. The model that was provisional in the Old Testament but it's far greater, far better through Jesus that He is the author of a new covenant that is forever. We see that He also secures salvation and that nothing can ever be greater or take away what He has done because He was the appointed one to do it. And He is elected to hold it forever. We don't have to worry about, well, He's going to die, now I've got to try to make my case to the new priest. No, He is forever that priest who once He says, you are my child, I have your names engraven in my hands. He never forgets. His people. A priest forever appointed. And if He has done that, nothing in life can, that nothing that life brings could ever unsecure us from a salvation that He provides. But it says that Jesus was not only the model, and not only the appointment, but He is the perfected high priest. That this is why you should, as Hebrews, that the writer is writing to, not go back to this old way of life because it is ending. It is not perfect. It is insufficient. It was provisional in its day, but Jesus is the perfect. It tells us in verses 7 through 10 why Jesus is the perfected high priest. It shows his submission, his suffering, his salvation he extends, his selection, and his security. How does it show that? Well, first of all, in verse 7, it says that during his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. In other words, the very life that Jesus had was one of utter submission. He recognized the holiness of God and out of recognizing the holiness of His Father, even though He was fully God Himself, He obeyed. He obeyed and submitted His life because He knew 
that even as the Son, fully God, yet fully man, it was worthy to worship the Father who sent Him. He had this submission. And it was a perfect submission. The book of Hebrews tells us that that this submission was one where He was tempted in every way we were. And yet without sin, that's what verse chapter 4, verse 15 tells us. It was a perfect submission. And let us not be mistaken that it was an easy one. Let us not be mistaken that saying, oh, well, if Jesus was fully God, that was probably like a snap to Him. He's just kind of like, well, let me just show up, do my thing, it's no big deal, and I'll walk away. Exit stage right, I'm done. Alright, I'm out. That's not what He's doing. It shows us that this suffering was a big deal. In fact, it was a part of him being perfected. In verse 8, it says, although, although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. He learned obedience from what he suffered. You see, the Bible is making a case here in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of two things. Jesus is learning about experientially learning. We talked about this last week that God never had to learn or know anything. He's always known it. But He experienced it personally upon Him. What it means to sympathize with those who are weak and to actively involve Himself in it. That Jesus is sympathetic to us, but not so sympathetic that it depletes Him from accomplishing anything. And not apathetic where He just turns away and says, "Not not my suckers, not my monkey." He actively involves himself because he sympathizes and able to deal gently with those who have weakness. He was the one who was in the desert and experienced temptation. Not only a temptation like we had, but temptation from the devil himself and overcame. It tells us that Jesus learned and was perfected in his sympathy. That he, what he already knew he was able to experience firsthand. Fully human. And fully God. But also that he was perfected in full submission. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 that he is both the just as the one who was completely submissive, completely righteous, and the justifier of all who have faith. So he was the one who completely obeyed and learned and showed exactly what that looks like in human flesh. And yet he able, he's able to give that kindness to others. He's perfected in His submission. He's perfected in His suffering. And He gives the perfectness of His sympathy to us. Because of this perfected high priest, it shows us that what He has done has accomplished everything. There is nothing in this life that could ever unsecure us from our salvation. Once again, not because of who we are, but because of Jesus. And that's why it says after he was perfected, after this fulfillment, he was perfect in his character, but after the perfection of God's plan being fulfilled, that's what it means after he was perfected. After all that was required to be done was done. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. After he accomplished all that was written that would be done by the Messiah to pay the penalty for sin, to be the mediator mediator between God and man. He was perfected. And that old provisional way, that old temporary design that wasn't the big plan, it's done away with. 
It's, it's completely ineffective and insufficient from that day forward. It's completely useless. Any attempt at works-based righteousness is gone. It is abolished. Because there is no one greater, there is no provision greater than what Jesus has done. And because of what Jesus has done, it's done once and for all. Jeremiah chapter 31 talks about this new covenant that would not be like the old covenant that they were able to break. But it would be a covenant that I have fixed upon them that I have completed. And so Jesus, as the high priest, He becomes that eternal salvation for all who are true believers. And I make that case very sincerely that this is not easy believism, that we just nod our head and say a few words, get some, get some water on us, and put an offering in the plate that we're automatically good with God. That ain't it. But to truly come to Jesus and say, you are my priest forever, the one that was appointed by God, and I recognize my sin, and I recognize your holiness and your sympathy towards me and your completeness in your offering. I lay down my life in your hands. I trust you forever. Because you are the source of salvation forever. He is able to be the, he is the, became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him, for all who trust and believe. For once again, it goes back to this moment of why He is the perfected High Priest. He was declared by God a High Priest. He was selected by the Father Himself. I don't know about you, I've been appointed for many tasks. I've been asked to serve on committees and stuff before. People have said, hey, I want you to spearhead this team. I want you to get this job done. And it was good and and it was nice. And and sometimes I had little certificates to go along with it. And it was great that somebody selected me that had authority. But you know what? Many times those jobs were temporary. And when I'm out, somebody else is in there. Should the Lord tarry? Guess what? One day there's going to be somebody else up here preaching. And it'll be like, I remember Pastor Jerome. We liked him, or maybe you didn't, I don't know. And they were like, wonder where he is. He died. That's a shame. I sure love this new preacher. Yeah, that's right. That's what's gonna be. And that's okay. Because I am not appointed to this task forever. But Jesus was selected by the Lord as the forever high priest. And it is according to the order of Melchizedek. Once We're going to look at this imagery a little bit further when we get to chapter 7 of Hebrews. But once it tells us, what's it saying there is this type that his priesthood is one that, that has no beginning and no ending. And it's secure. It's secure and fixed and nothing, nothing, nothing could ever in this life separate you from the salvation that Jesus provides to those who have believed. This is the good news that we carry This is the good news we must make known. This is the good news that makes us celebrate. This is the good news that that if this is not good enough, I don't know what will lead you to obey, but if this isn't good enough, I don't know what will. Because this is secured and fixed in Jesus. Who, as the writer of Hebrews will say later on, is the author and perfecter of our faith. I hope you have that good news of Jesus today. I hope you know what it means to have Him as your high priest. And if you don't, I just want to take this and make a beeline for the cross right here as we close. Jesus is the high priest once again because there is a holy God who will hold all of us to the standard of His righteousness. And guess what? That's a problem. 
Because the Bible says all of us, every single one of us, from those that look the cleanest and the most righteous to the ones that look the most despicable that we've ever met, no matter who we are, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have that offense. Not one of us is righteous on our own. But in that, Jesus being that high priest says, I will be that sufficient substitutionary one. And you know what that's going to require? It's going to require me to go to the cross. To be your priest, I'm going to have to go make the sacrifice, but for it to be perfect, I'm going to have to be the sacrifice. And Jesus willingly did that. It says that we were dead in our trespasses, but Jesus, but God, rich in His love, did this for us. And based on what He alone has accomplished, true faith is us responding to that and saying, God, I recognize who you are in all your holiness. I recognize my sin and my need for a priest. And I place my hand, my life in your hands, the sufficiency of your sacrifice for my salvation. The Bible says everyone is called to account for that. No one can make that decision for you. Based on what God has done to draw you, you either will follow Him in trust and obedience or you will reject Him. That's the only two choices. But based on that, if, if, if you do trust and obey, the Bible says not only does He secure your place in the heavenlies, that He's prepared for you, but He transforms your life here now to where you don't want to go back to that old way. Just as the writer of Hebrews is warning his readers. How could you ever go back? when you see what Jesus has done from this day forward. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank You for this body of people, this community of faith, and I thank You for those that have chosen to be with us today that may not even be a part of us, but they've come to see what You are doing in the midst of us. And I I don't know what You want to accomplish in this moment, but I do know That everything in Your Word points towards trusting, obeying, and following Your lead. So Lord, for the soul that's in this room that needs to come to You first in repentance for salvation, that may have tried to base their life on all kinds of other things before, but they recognize that now You are the only source the only one who could ever provide salvation. I pray that You would draw them near You. And that today would be the day that they have peace with You, God. Not peace by any means on their part or any accomplishment on that part. By simply trusting in who You are and what You have done and are willing to do. Lord, for the believers in this room that that already have that positional peace with You, but maybe their practice in their life, their, their walk with you is, is, it's iffy. And they need to also repent and come to the restoration made available by you. Their eternal priest. Who once and for all saved them. But also restores them. I pray that you would help them draw near to you. And for every decision that needs to be made by a disciple of a next step with you. God, help us in this moment not try to put off tomorrow what needs to be done today. Not try to harden our hearts or or lessen Your voice. God, may it never be. Help them in this moment. Understand that it is You who are with them and it is You who is drawing them and it is You who is leading them. And help them obey. Whether it be anyone on this stage, including myself, 
or anyone in the, in the pews, Lord, draw us near to You, our mighty Savior. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray this prayer and give this time. Amen. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed as we're accustomed uh, at the end of our worship gatherings. And we're going to offer this time of response. I, I don't know what that looks like for you. Like I said, if, if you need peace with the Lord and, and need to trust in Him for salvation, man, I would help love to help you walk through what it means to come to faith in Him if the Lord is drawing you. If, if the Lord is drawing you to make a decision, maybe it's to be scripturally baptized as a believer. Maybe it's to be united with this church family as, as a member. Maybe it's a calling to go and, and serve in some type of ministry or mission. I would love to help you and encourage you and walk you through that. But whatever it is in this time, please trust and follow the Lord's direction. And I'm going to offer myself as counsel should you need it. But you follow as he leads.